This is the Blackout Podcast. Hi, Brad. Yo, yo. Israel. I've been, I've been dying to talk to you since we met a few, a few months ago at Common Good Solutions. I'm like, who is this guy? I want to know everything <laughs> about him. And when I had... Uh, when the podcast started I had a list of people I wanted to talk to but then I was just checking your Instagram and you were not in the country for a while um, you were you went for there was like a documentary thing that was being screened somewhere I think uh no, we, we, well, I was in Scotland for the Social Enterprise World Forum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you was at the, Yeah, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, well, tell me a little bit more about that. So, it, it was a, it was a, it was a huge conference. So there's about fourteen hundred delegates. Holy Canada smokes. had a, a big representation there. We had about one hundred and twenty eight delegates. Uh, a lot from Atlantic Canada, Common Good Solutions sent their whole staff pretty much. So um, I'm part of that world, and uh, you know, as you you know already I started my own social enterprise and so it was really good for me because this whole I didn't know what social enterprise was no, a year, actually, a year ago it was like so, <laughs> so I'm like you know what this will be because it, it, it's just it, all the stuff you hear all the time from a language perspective yeah. it, it's it's it was great to just get a better understanding of you know the the, the language but um but yeah 1400 people trying to change the world for the better can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's always a good thing. Um, I mean, we, we need that. We really do need that. Um, but for people that might not know what social enterprise is, you want to tell a little bit about that? Yeah, and I gained a lot of... Because you have social social purpose businesses that aren't necessarily social enterprises. And then you have charities and nonprofits. And how do they fit into this whole thing? And so... Um, it, to to really simplify it in a nutshell, you, you start with an issue, yeah. whatever that issue may be, whether it's, you know, we have a surplus of waste of this particular plastic or we have, you know, in the out migration of youth in Nova Scotia, huge issue here. So yeah. that's where the, the what we're trying to address is oh, our okay. social enterprise. And you build a business that's designed to solve that issue. Um, and then with the majority of profits going back either into the issue or into community at large. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and we're very lucky in Nova Scotia and BC. It's not a federal uh, business structure, but uh, the community interest company structure is available uh, in Nova Scotia. And okay. you actually register your business as a CIC, as a community interest company. Holy smokes, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> what are some of, of the advantages saying, like, of doing that? You know, there's, there's, uh, it, it's really it legitimizes what you're doing. So mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'll, I'll put the majority of our profits back, but it's like, what, are, well, what are they guided by, and what, what is their mandate, and what, you know, what is holding them accountable to yeah. that, right? So it's more so the accountability piece. You don't get, you don't, you, we can't write tax like charitable receipts or anything like that. We don't get, we're even taxed on the money we give back. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Which is again, you know, I you could kind of funnel it through a charity and yeah, get charitable receipt yeah. for it, which they they maybe want to have a look at and and change, you know, how that is working. Yeah. Um. But that's been around like the CIC structure has been around in the UK for decades. So it was really cool being in Scotland. You'd see on a on a on a company on a building, it would say such and such CIC at the end of the at the of the company, and you're like, man, this is really you're walking down the streets, a major city, yeah. and you've got CICs like everywhere so social enterprise that was where the first 
conference was, and that was where it was this past year. So, where do you, do you know have an idea where the next one will be? Yeah, so they closed. Um, They closed this one by announcing where the next one was going to be, and that was sort of the most energized moment of the whole thing. <laughs> Everybody with anybody, anybody with any kind of melanin rushed the stage and ran up and started dancing. So it's going to be in Ethiopia next oh! year. Oh, yeah! Wow, so I'm guessing really, you are going. Really, really excited for that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to that one. Wow, what, yeah. what month will it be? It's usually in September, so okay. I think it's going to be like the website's up now, and it's it's been uh, converted to. Like the Ethiopia event, it's not uh, not the old one anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so um, do they always have themes for each year, or how does that work? There's, you know, it, it's they definitely sort of choose their keynotes and everything according to where the landscape of the whole sector is. Okay. You know, very early on, and I I wasn't at these conferences, but this was just kind of what I was hearing from yeah. being at the conference. Very early on, it was more trying to make sure there was an, a very clear definition of what is social enterprise. Uh, so that was like a very early on conferences. That was, you know, a big part of it. But now it's getting more into having debates about, okay, is this, is this, you know, is this a myth? Is this, you know, can you be sustainable as a social enterprise without any government funding? Mm. You know, can you just do business, give 60% of your profits back or give the majority of your profits back and still be sustainable? And, you know, having those types of conversations, how to influence policy mm. and how to, you know, so they, the government has announced almost a billion dollars basically going into social enterprise okay. uh, in the next like five, 10 years in Canada. So that's a huge, huge step. Uh, quick question i mean the election is next year mm -hmm. we hope liberals stay on i really do <laughs> but what if that change do you think it will change our policy or it's just that's something i don't know okay yeah fair enough. that's something i really don't know I, yeah. i i believe it's set in stone i don't i don't know um Yeah, yeah, because, because um, there's, there's they're going to start introducing tax benefits and stuff to social enterprises. Yeah, and that's part of the billion dollars. Because <laughs> do, you know? do people ever say you're crazy <laughs> to start a business where, oh, you know what? I made five dollars on yeah. every whatever, and I'm giving four, three dollars back. Yeah. And when we were like very early on conversations about where do we want to go with this? We know we want to address this issue. Mm. Um, and at the time, I knew what a nonprofit and a charity was, but I didn't know this whole sector existed. So we were thinking, yeah, let's go nonprofit. But as soon as you start to sort of pivot as a business and address needs that are outside of what people think that you're about, then it gets hard to get, it, get, get, to get money from government or just donations or anything like that. Mm. So as soon as a charity says... Yeah, we, we, typically we help kids, but we're going to do this for adults because this adult population is really struggling. Mm -hmm. People are going to say, well, I'm not giving money to that charity anymore because <laughs> they, they're not supposed to be doing that, right? Mm. And so it's really hard to address the biggest need of any particular community. So really when we go into a community yeah. and we complete a contract there, we want the money to go back to that community. And so we'll look at that community and say, okay, well, what's the biggest need here? Wow. We'll put the money towards that. Um What what people make up your team? Not the actual person, but what kind of uh, roles are in your team? So do you need someone that does what and what and what and what? Like at placemaking for a team. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a three person team right now. Okay. Yeah, Matt, Lauren, and myself. Mm. Um, Matt Matt is is a very strong numbers guy, very strong sales guy, very strong people person. Um, uh, myself. Uh, 
I, I feel I have an ability to connect with people on a deeper level and that's, you know, really build relationships and do a lot of the community work side of things. Lauren's definitely the, the, the social enterprise expert when oh, it comes okay. to that side of things. Yeah. So she's, she's heavily involved in, in, in common good solutions there as well. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, when you talk about strength is in diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Matt's from Montreal originally, speaks French, and he's, he's, a, he's a here by choice, not a come from away, right? So he brings that lens and that perspective to everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he's the capitalist of the group, right? So he, <laughs> he's always like, yeah, well, yeah, well, let's make money first. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but how's this going to impact community, right? So it, it, we really, we do well. Yeah. In, in How did of, you guys meet? We met at Mount A as well, yeah. Oh, Mount okay. Allison University. All three we played, of you? Yeah, we played. No, Lauren, uh, we met after the fact. So, oh, okay. Um, we knew we wanted to be in that world. We knew we wanted to do something about, you know, our biggest export in Nova Scotia being talent. We needed we needed to do something about that, and we kind of sat down with Lauren and said, "Okay, tell mm. us about this social enterprise thing. Mm. What's what's this all about?" Yeah. yeah. So I actually work at a not for profit where. <laughs> um, we help immigrants settle Mm -hmm. and you're right there's actually a section that we're working on because we notice people come in to from wherever and they stay here like a year or two years and then they're out you Mm -hmm. know so it's almost it's kind of like a brain drain you know you come here get education or actually start a business or whatever and Mm -hmm. you feel or for whatever reason, you just moved to Montreal or Ottawa or Toronto or one of these yeah. places. And so it's kind of, it's actually, not kind of, it's actually important what you're doing. Right. So to that point, you know, from from an immigration perspective, also from just a student perspective and graduating and not knowing what you want to do or looking for work can be very difficult in Nova Scotia. And that's mm. typically the narrative we hear. So I'm, I'm not a, an expert on immigration policies whatsoever. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're sitting down with folks in that community and saying, listen, how can we make sure that the stuff we do also impacts, you know, people working on their permanent resident applications and make sure that those are the A, B type jobs yeah. and not the C type jobs that don't count towards your permanent residency. So mm. a really cool project we're working on right now, a pilot project uh, called Cluster Employment is uh, essentially one of the biggest hurdles to, to business growth in small communities is access to talent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. And, and typically that's because of budget, budget restraints. They might only have like 0.25 mm. of a role as far as cash flow is concerned. So can't necessarily afford to compete with the big salaries, can't even afford a full-time position, let alone a big salary for this individual. So nobody's going to go to Yarmouth or Sydney, Cape Breton for a part-time job. Yeah. You know, you're, just, you're not going to uproot. You just can't sustain a family that way. can't sustain an individual that way, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's easy in, a, in an urban center to grow a business with part-time work uh, because, you know, you can live in that gig economy. Right? So yeah. I have a gig here, I have a gig there, I have a gig there. Between my three gigs, I can sustain myself. But that's a, it's a lot more difficult when you talk about the rural community. So everybody te- keeps talking about we need to collaborate in our rural communities in order to be successful and to, and to grow. And so a cluster, what it would do is you take two to three businesses with a shared business need and they hire one individual. Ah. Uh, so now they can compete with the with the salaries of Halifax. Now they can, you know, put together benefit package for this individual as well. You know, give them a reason to come here and fall in love with Nova Scotia, whether it's whether it's retention or if it's attraction of new talent to come this way. Um, you know, so how, do, how would that work, though? So would the person work different days in each of these places or? 
Right. So those are the things we need to sit down with the employers and iron out. That would be something on an individual basis. Okay. So logistically, how is this going to work for your business and your business and your business? It depends on the industry. It depends on the the demands of the business. Uh, It depends on the individual that's being recruited for that role. Um, Really, what we want to do is bring up as many of those questions as possible, because the long game of this is to create basically a best practices or a toolkit for cluster employment so that that toolkit can be implemented anywhere, not just in Nova Scotia, but globally. Yeah. Um, we distribute that through SEI. I don't know if you know SEI no. over at, so Common Good Solutions also runs SEI. They're kind of like the sister company, okay. Social Enterprise Institute. And oh, so yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that's kind of the, the go-to place if you're a social enterprise. and, and Is this in the any... same a building? or? Yeah, it's right in the same space over okay. just around the corner from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we would distribute it through SEI and have it up there. They have a bunch of different training for businesses oh, on wow. there. Um, so this would kind of add to their toolkit is, is what, as far as that's concerned. But the the point that the point is you know for us to go in and actually run these individually is very time constraining there's a lot of work that goes into that mm-hmm. and that would be that would cost a lot of money to those employers we're not looking to add additional cost yeah. to employers that can barely afford talent so what what why we want so right now we're looking for funding to get these it's basically research done for these 10 pilot projects across the province they would be we would make sure we'd had representation from municipal uh from startup because it's very transferable to the startup world um you know small business uh, non-profit we want to hit all the sectors wow. so that you know, the toolkit can really be because the important thing at the end is having that toolkit to distribute uh, and make sure we bring to the surface as many issues as possible so we can iron those out and then bring it back to the to the immigration point is that we want to make sure the jobs that are created because of the clusters are a and b jobs and count towards somebody's permanent residency application so you know, essentially, these jobs don't exist if mm-hmm. if we don't create this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So That's great, actually. That's really, really great. Everybody's trying to solve that mystery. How do we create more jobs in our rural communities? And this is this is a solution to that. So, How did that idea come about, though? Um, it, it was it, Matt was down. At, I think he was down in Digby for the, the regional enterprise network had their uh conference down there and it was a part of a conversation it, it's not it's not uh it's not a new conversation but nobody's building it um as far as that's concerned we just mm. kind of you know we, we we said okay well you know if, if collaboration is how we can attract people let's actually put some structure behind this and mm-hmm. and, and turn it into something so we've now got you know 21 endorsement letters from anywhere from politicians to business owners to community leaders across the board and everybody seems to want to support this so it, it makes sense i mean yeah. it would be it'd be if someone isn't supporting this you'd want to really question this. <laughs> <laughs> and i i actually went the other way around i know you but tell us a little bit about brad and how um <clears throat> place making 4g came to be yeah, so, well, um, I grew up here, born and raised, um, you know, uh, strong, strong family, strong community presence in, in, in this community, in African Nova Scotian community, so that's always been a big part of my life, and so that was a big draw for me to come back home, but, you know, I, I grew up here as Buddy Day's grandson, so if you had that day on the, the end of your name, you know, and, and I wanted to be the one with, 
you know, a lot of my other family members as well. But you know, I want to be the one to carry that torch and continue that legacy and do that work in the community that's going to, you know, make make real change and impact here. So uh, when I came back, that was one of my motivating factors. But I, I went to Mount A. I played football there and it was an all Canadian and, you know, went and for, lived in France for two years and played football overseas for two years, came back, did some coaching, stuff like that. That's when I met my fiance mm. uh, when I was back coaching uh, at, at Mount A and then uh, spent some time in banking and I coached football professionally with the Argos in 2016. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I was on that coaching staff there, which was which was an incredible experience. I can't imagine. Um, you know, it's one of those things that initially when sort of the conversation was happening on, do you want to come out? It was, it was kind of a bit of a hesitation. And then when I took some time and thought about it, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> Why, why would I, why would I, why would you know, I think if I'm, if I'm sitting at a bank and when I'm like, you know, 60 years old thinking, what if I would have taken a coaching job? I'd be like, man, this is not. So, so I, I, I had the experience and it was incredible. I learned so much. Yeah. Um, and, and shout out to Kelly Jeffrey. He, he taught me, he was a great mentor during that time. Uh, we worked one-on-one in, he, I was uh, sort of basically his assistant for a certain, uh, you know, for special teams in, in, in football, if you know anything about football. But... I, I got an idea. It's funny because I'm Nigerian, right? And football means Is something soccer. else. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> but, actually but, a foot kicking a ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it's always like, why are they calling football when they're always holding it anyway? But yeah. I think I understand the basics of, I'm just kind of bored. There's one team that is always winning. And... I mean, in the, in the U.S. right in now. NFL, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, can't someone come up with a strategy to do something? <laughs> Fuck sakes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, do you see that things you learned from uh, the experience, both from football and playing it and coaching it, you brought it into placemaking, 4G? Definitely. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of not to switch from football, but just, you know, you gain a bit of a platform through mm. sports. Like, you can you can... You can you know you can use that in various ways, however you choose to use it. So my grandfather was a world champion boxer, and so he used that platform to make social change. And so he started the the Black Educators Association. You know, he's the first black sergeant at arms down at the province house. We all know DBDLI yeah, Learning yeah, yeah. Institute. And so yeah, he, this is somebody who was kicked out of elementary school for defending his brother and saying, you know, he's not going to read Little Black Sambo, this very racist book. And was kicked out of elementary school. And that was the extent of his education. And now you have Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute named mm. after him. So clearly he sort of dedicated his life to to, to making that, that institutional change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, not that I've gotten some huge platform from, from playing football, but, uh, you know, it, it got me through education. It got me to travel the world. It, it was a uh, basically a livelihood at one point in my life. So, you know using it to gain access to education and gain access to, to do these things was very valuable. And so then to take, you know, it, it, it's very much a team sport. There's a lot of people on the field. A lot. <laughs> and if somebody messes up, you know, so there's a lot of lessons to be learned as far as hard work and trust. You have to, you have to fall in love with the grind because mm. we, we practice year round. The season's very short. You play once a week. You, you practice every other day. You're in the film room. You're, you know, it's a full time job and some. The physical, demanding, you know. It, so there's a lot, and you have to kind of learn to love that grind aspect. And so, there's 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 definitely a ton of life lessons that that can be learned through football, and then definitely transferable 
to the business world and just sport in general, you know, student athletes in universities, there's a lot going on there. Mm. Uh, and a lot of times it can be, it, you can miss out on things like internships and making those business connections because you're like, I got to perfect my craft. This is paying for my schooling. Mm. And so, you know, I know individuals who, who, who quit basketball or football or whatever it was because they were like, you know what, I'm going to focus on my professional career. And it, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in university. So I just was like, you know, this is a, a path I'm going to go down until the door is completely closed because mm. I loved football. It was my life. So figuring out what life was after that was was interesting. Mm. But yeah, I don't know if that in a roundabout way answers your question. But. Yeah, it does. Actually, so what was the process of deciding, you know what, I'm going to do this? For, for placemaking 4G? Yes. Well, personally, for me, I saw, you know, my friends like Nathan Beeler, who runs a hair, you know, he, he, a lot of people that had their own businesses. And, and I, I'm looking around, I'm like, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I work in banking and I, and yeah, yeah, that's okay. Like it's, it, it sustains me right now as far as like financially goes. And I learned a lot about personal finance, but I'm seeing everybody running their own, doing their own thing. And that's where I was really attracted to is doing something that, uh, that, that, I could call my own and it just, so self-employment was like definitely a really big driving factor and then mm. it was it wasn't the actual results of the election but it was the conversation uh, that was happening around election time provincially and that it had a lot of people saying okay well we want more social programs but we also want you know less taxes but we also and it was a lot of people with their hands out and not necessarily saying, okay, let's let's do something. And so you had the Ivany report that came out like right around that time, pointing to all the issues. So it had a lot of things, a lot of reports, a lot of things pointing to the issue and saying, these are huge. What are we going to do about it? And so we just kind of took that do something approach hmm. uh, and wanted to actually build a business that was going to do something about it. Now, again, when we had that conversation, it was like, well, how do we structure this? And that's that's definitely where <laughs> this Lauren is your stepped Mark, right? in. Oh, What's okay. That? No, so it was your Matt yeah, that started yeah. the conversation, and then yeah. So we 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 literally started the conversation at like three a.m. Like, <laughs> <laughs> at a cottage in Tatamagush, you know, drinking a little bit too many beers. <laughs> and, uh, shout out to Matt and Chris at, at Tatabrew. But um, yeah, you know, 3 a.m. just kind of frustrated talking about, you know, he's got three kids and a wife and what are, what are their future? Are, are they going to have a future in Nova Scotia? And so, you know, I'm, I'm getting married this year and, and um, you know, I'm looking as far as I've, I'm, I've bought a house here now. I'm laying some roots. This is, this is where I want to be. Mm. This is where a lot of people want to be. Well, what does that look like? And so that, that was a lot of the motivation behind behind starting that and then sitting down with Lauren really gave us that structure and so okay there's this issue but what are we gonna what what is the business gonna be you know the recruiting is a seven billion dollar industry yep let's talk about that mm. and there's not a lot of good going on in that recruiting it's more like throw resumes at a wall and see uh, what happens right tell so that me about world, it tell yeah. me about it I know that process it's crazy I mean you know people go on Caribbean or Indeed or wherever but yeah I really don't think that's the best way to go about getting a job, really. Um, well, you, there's only so much your resume can say mm -hmm. about you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so we put more emphasis on, on the cover letter than we do the resume. Which we're trying to... It, it's HR. So we're trying to humanize mm. that process. Everybody's buzzwords and keyword searches and, and resumes and stuff like that. And like, can they do it? And the cultural fit and all these terms that are just like very much... Everything you know about recruiting and that whole industry, just 
put that in a big bottle and throw it in the ocean. And that's not that's yeah. not what we do, right? So we we use the term cultural contributor mm. instead of cultural fit. It's, it, that that subtle change just to the language itself can just start making your mind think not sameness anymore. Yeah, not, you start to think cultural fit, and you're putting somebody in a box before they even get there. Right. And so those are the, the really important things about the way we go about it. Mm. And just the language is important, too. Right. And the name itself, Placemaking 4G, how did uh, was that also the same night you came up with the name? Yeah. Well, no, actually, <laughs> we had about four or five. If you want the domain uh, uh, flagship Nova Scotia, that one's we got that domain name. <laughs> We got a couple other domain names if you want them. So, yeah, those earlier conversations, we, we didn't really have the name. It was, uh, we were at CGS's Old Space, mm. if you had ever been there. Oh, they were somewhere uh, before this building? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were uh, actually kind of across the street from the Ale House, if you know that yeah, yeah, building yeah. on that corner there. The room, oh, 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 the main oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Main floor that was too, just too small for them. They, they outgrew that space, but yeah, we were in we were in there having a chat with Lauren and, and uh, Dave Upton was in the room, and we really liked the concept of placemaking, but we didn't really know how to fit it into the name itself. Mm. Uh, so placemaking usually usually used as a development, you know, urban planning and stuff like that. And so it's it's about creating uh, a place that's sticky and that's attractive and that's going to highlight the assets that are there. Okay. And so when you kind of flip that on its head and, and, you know, put it to a recruiting perspective, it's about highlighting the assets that are in a community and, mm. you know, supporting them and making sticky places. And so we talk about retention in Nova Scotia and yep. creating sticky places and changing the way we do things in community. That was, it was very much. And then the four G four is the four Atlantic provinces. Oh, uh, and then the yeah. G is just good or gumption or great or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want that G to be, you, you, yeah. you make it your own. So, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've, I, I've kind of followed it and I love how I'm going to go to this. So it's a social enterprise and does social media play into it any in any way? Uh, for sure. So um, it, it was a very valuable lesson that I learned when I was when I was at SCWF, the Social Enterprise World Forum in, in Scotland. Mm. Um, in that, you know, there was a, there was a lady there. She she makes designer bags out of uh, out of um, thrown out like garbage uh, um, uh, fire hoses. So. I think I yeah. yeah yeah I think I've read up about her sometimes. Is it fire? Um... It's fire hoses. So yeah, most yeah. of the stuff it's all red. Like it's this red plastic that you, they did a bunch of research on. I was like, this stuff is indestructible. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we need to we need to do something with this material. Okay. It was actually it was she was, was a funny story because first thing she did when she got to London, she's actually Canadian. Mm. First thing she did when she got to UK was go to the dump, which is not typically the first thing. <laughs> first thing, what are the, all these cool attractions? I'm gonna go to the dump. <laughs> and she's spotted these hoses and she put one on her she was on a bike and put one on her back and <laughs> drove, drove home with this hose and it's like what is this lady doing but you know really what was important in that whole messaging was you know she doesn't she doesn't do that sort of targeted marketing oh it's christmas time i'm gonna have red and green and i make red bags Fire hoses are red, you know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just gonna tell the truth. Yes, she markets, yeah, and yeah. so you know, but she just tells the truth about what the company does. It mm. takes these things and it turns them into these beautiful luxury items, and then it gives back profits in in the community. Mm. So, uh, and that story, it's it's important to share. It is, um, and 
another really cool thing from from the Social Enterprise World Forum, which I hope that app will make its way to Canada. It's 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 only in uh, New Zealand right now, but okay. um, really really cool app called uh, Connecting Good. So Kogo is the is the name of it if you look it up. But uh, this guy created a app where you go on as a consumer and you put in things that are important to you socially. Mm. Um, so this kind of bring it back to that social media, like everybody. Everybody talks about things they want to change about their life, but this makes it a lot easier for them. So you can put in, uh, make sure that cafes are paying people a living wage, make sure that they don't use plastic here, make sure. So you put in all these, there's like 37 different categories that are important to you as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And then you'll look at the app. Okay, I want to go eat some food or I want to go buy a shirt. Uh, It'll show you the stores geographically around you that are aligned with your values. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just, that should be global, actually. Right. Know, just, so yeah. When that's... that came out, when we when I heard about that, I was like, that is going to change the world. Yeah. Um. And then and then on the other end, like from a business perspective, a lot of the concerns around the app were, okay, well, how do we, how do we, how do we, you know. How does Walmart like not take advantage of this and like <laughs> try to spin something and be like, yeah, we're a social enterprise because we do this one thing? And yeah. the answer was honestly, if you can get major corporations like that to change anything about the way they do things and give them a business reason for it. So mm. as a business person, you can go onto the app and it'll say, there's 30,000 people in this area that are inter- that that have these values. You'll... And those are potential customers. And so if there's 30,000 people in your area that say they don't want plastic and you make that change, that's that's 30,000 new potential customers. Yeah. Right. So it's giving those business reasons to anybody. And it, you know, nobody's going to tick all 37 boxes. He said, even us as as a company, like we're a social enterprise, we built this app. We don't tick all the boxes because, you know, we, first of all, we don't, we don't like have a restaurant that has plastic. So (laughs) it doesn't even apply to us, but like. Nobody's going to do everything right. Mm. Um, even even the best social enterprises, even the best charities and nonprofits, they're not going to do everything right. Yeah. So if but if you can give a business reason for everybody to to make changes within their business that are going to impact society uh, as at large, then that's powerful. Yeah. And so that was a really cool. But yeah, so in social enterprise, it's less about using social media because um, it can be a great marketing tool. Mm-hmm. But it's more just about telling the truth and telling your story yeah. than it is about like, oh, you have a promotion on this right look now. Or, or, <laughs> or yeah, or just like, look at me, I'm doing this really cool thing. It's, it's more like highlighting the truth about like what you're doing. And, yeah. And yeah. So um, what's the process? Do you just work with companies or do people send you their resumes? How, how does that work? Right. So the actual business is based on companies paying us a certain percentage of a salary for us to go out and find top talent for them. Um, on the other hand, yes, if people are looking for jobs, we encourage those folks to come to us to help us build our sort of database of talented individuals. Mm. Um, but um, but it's actually you're not you're not allowed to sort of skills market people. That's that's you can't they can't pay you and then you go out and find them a job. You're going to misrepresent them. It's actually illegal to do that. So the actual business structure, the way it works, is businesses pay you to go out and find top talent. Gotcha. Um, now 
we fit in that recruiting box, but like I said, you know, we're building things like cluster and we're building things, you know, that are going to change the narrative when it comes to African Nova Scotian employment. And so we're doing a bunch of things that are very much creative and outside the box. So when it comes to finding a, finding a middle ground for, for businesses to use our services, we can create unique because we're so agile at this point. Uh, you know, uh, two years into the, in the process, we, we, we have the ability to be more agile and come up with a creative solution that's going to meet the needs of the employer, mm. but also, you know, that's that's customized. Oh, okay. um, so it's not like a set percentage, we'll do this. We, we want to build more transformational relationships, yeah, yeah. Not, not transactional relationships, because if we can have those ongoing conversations and really, you know, do that deep dive. So, so we start the process when we sit down with the employer with a cultural audit. Mm. We want to do a deep dive into the company and say, okay, what kind of culture are you building here? Um, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that when we place somebody, mm. we're not putting them in. It, it's great to have a bunch of cultural contributors, but if the environment that they're coming into... Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. Right? And people leave fast yeah. these days. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two points to that in that, you know, the first thing we want to do is make sure we're highlighting all the assets that are there too. We want to do that deep dive to, to figure out your vision, your values, and your culture and really highlight those things because that's what's going to really attract people to your company. Yeah, you know, I think you're actually doing way more for these companies than they think because some <laughs> companies, what I've noticed just um, like from work and stuff and reaching out to people, some of these people don't even understand the importance of culture. Um, they just think if I pay X amount, if I put a coffee machine in the mm-hmm. lunch, whatever, people want to stay but they don't understand it's the culture of the place that decides how the people that work there actually take the place Mm -hmm. and i mean sure sure it's great to be able to pay a mortgage or whatever but how do you feel deep inside at the end of the day Mm -hmm. you know so so it's great that you guys do that so values is where we where we sort of is the main focus of everything we do when it comes to the recruiting process because because the studies back it up, mm. um, especially for millennials. So uh, especially yeah, I'm just gonna break it because for sure. um, I, I, I was trying to meet someone. I, I mean, I know people that will meet you at say Starbucks or a place that doesn't so, support local or a place that doesn't use straw or you know so there is things you kind of have to check before you meet someone before you talk to someone so yeah if you want your company to thrive in where we are now you have to do something yeah in the same way that you're looking at their extracurriculars they're now looking at the business from that lens as well what are you doing in the community Mm. you know what what is your workplace environment like and so um Values alignment has become the number one thing for millennials. So 85% of millennials who have values alignment will stay with that employer for five years or more. 72% of millennials say they'll take a pay cut to work with an employer that they have values alignment with. That's super true. Um, so everybody, the narrative right now is like millennials are lazy. And, and currently, if you're entering the workforce and you're a millennial, the current tenure is 1.4 years. Mm. So it's that initial... That initial stepping into that work environment, initially, that's where we're getting it wrong right now. And if you look at it from an economic standpoint, if you look, if you put the capitalist lens back on and you say, well, throw out all this feel-good stuff, let's make the business case for it. 1.4 years 
if you're going to turn over every yeah. 1.4 years, that's even in those entry mid level jobs, money. that's a lot of money. So yeah. it can cost anywhere from 30 to 150% to replace somebody when they mm. leave of their, of their salary. So if you start talking about that, that's a huge amount of money as opposed yeah. to paying up front to get it right from a values alignment perspective and keep that person for five years. So yeah. if you're looking at it over five years, the business case is there. It pays for itself exactly. easily. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I don't understand why. It's, it's like you're driving a car and you don't care if you have an extra tire or you don't care about putting on a seatbelt. It's 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 honestly stupid not to do that. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then to take it a step further, so we, particular communities that are really struggling, and I wanted to talk to you today about like African Nova Scotian community because that's where that's where my heart is, and that's yeah. a big motivating factor behind why I got into this. So mm. if you look at our youth, twenty six percent unemployment. The okay. provincial average is fourteen five. So it's almost double the provincial average. Yeah. So you uh, know what's going that's a wrong shocking here? Statistic. It hasn't changed for thirty years. That's even more shocking. Thirty years, uh, and that stat has been the same. Wow. Uh, you know, there's been studies done that say to get to an equitable position, it's going to take us a hundred years if what? we don't make changes. Okay, that's scary, actually. Right. So, really, and and. The government is putting a lot of money towards cap capacity building because you have a lot of these companies that might say, well, yeah, I'd love to hire African Nova Scotians, but they're not skilled. They're not this, this and that. And there's nobody that actually has this skill set to fill this job. And so and, and at the same time, if you're a, most of our businesses in Nova Scotia are small businesses. Mm. So over 90 percent are small businesses. So if you're a small business and you're looking to recruit new talent, um, typically you're not going to spend money on it. And typically you won't have like a big HR staff that's really, so really what you do is look within your network. Yeah. And if your network is not the African Nova Scotian community, yeah. then it's usually, you know, Joe at your staff that comes in and says, oh, I have a buddy, I have a buddy, you know, Derek, he's, he's great. Let's bring him in. And, and now you have Joe and Derek. And so that's really what's happening now. And there's a lot of capacity building programs that enrollment is actually down in the African Nova Scotian and Aboriginal communities mm. because there's no trust in these programs anymore. They don't lead to, you know, gaining access to that network to actually end up in a job yeah. at the end of the day. So really what we want to build, uh, we want to be the go-to place when it comes to if you're an African Nova Scotian or an Aboriginal and you're looking to get employment, you'd come to us. Mm. And on the back end of that, if you're a business that's looking to hire African Nova Scotian and Aboriginal talent, you come to us. Yeah. And we want to bridge that gap between business and community and, and, and actually kind of reverse engineer and say, you know, reach out to the employers and say, what are your biggest needs? Mm. Manufacturing, whatever it may be. Um, and reverse engineer and do the training to fill those needs. We yeah. know we have 200 jobs here. Now we're going to build the training for these folks to, to meet the needs of that 200 jobs. So do you do anything with the learning center? Does a placemaking 4G do anything with the learning center? At, at Delmore Buddy Day, yeah. DBDLI? Um, they're an advocate for sure. Like we, we have a lot of conversations. We were in there uh, last week talking about a, a event that um, uh, the folks over at, at LAE at uh, Labor and Advanced Education are going to be putting on about um, about their uh, um, uh, GTO, their Graduate to Opportunity program, which mm -hmm. um, 
which uh, they need to get the word out because, you know, 35% of your first year salary can be covered if you're African Nova Scotian or if you're a visible minority. Mm. So that's a program that hasn't been really utilized in our community. So we're trying to, get, trying to get the word out about that. So as far as like, you know, we, we'll, we'll sit down in the space and have meetings with, with folks, but they're more from, they have an education focus. Yeah. And, you know, their mandate. Like I said earlier, it's hard to jump from mandate to mandate when you're a nonprofit or a charity, right? So yeah. their mandate's very specific this when it comes to if do. it, oh, it's not affecting African Nova Scotian education. Yeah. It's not our mandate. And how about the Black Business Initiative, I think, is that what it's called? BBI? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, great, some great folks over at, at BBI. Um, Emma's awesome. Um, Ashley Hill is there is now. So um, love working with those folks individually. I, I, I don't do much as, a, as an organization. I, I don't do a lot of work with them. Okay. We haven't really gone to them for any funding or anything like that. Gotcha. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about BBI. I'll just kind of leave that alone. But um, there's some good folks over there for sure. Yeah, yeah. they're doing great work. And um, so what's the plan moving forward now? I mean, I know you have the closest thing happening and... So what's the 2019 plan for P4G? Yeah, I mean, continue on with the bread and butter. So our bread and butter is computing, uh, recruiting and building those transformational relationships with, with organizations that we have, feel we have values alignment with. So mm. uh, in particular, uh, you know, we're working with the Green Schools Initiative through Efficiency One, Efficiency Nova Scotia. So we're one of our biggest clients. And so um, energy efficiency, that's very important to us Definitely. as well. So. Yeah. You know, having that continuous, and so one of the big projects we're doing with them is, is called Celebrate Cape Breton, because okay. um, we placed we placed somebody up in Cape Breton, an engineer. That's a really cool story. I won't get into that too too much, but it was, <laughs> okay, a, okay. It was a really cool story. And uh, as a result, we have a certain amount of funds from that contract to go back to community, right? Yeah. So we're we're entirely funding an event up there called Celebrate Cape Breton. When um, um, when is this? It's going to be in May, uh, May twenty third, I believe. Uh, to it's one hundred and twenty grade nine students. Wow! Uh, from twelve different schools all across Cape Breton, um, they're going to come together on it's like a hackathon style event. It's kind of like the Wee Day for for uh, for the environment. That up is there. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so so they'll have like six weeks of curriculum before they get there mm. to work on the challenges, and then when they get there, they're going to present their 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 findings and their ideas as far as working towards solutions are concerned. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be up there. We'll talk about a bit about social enterprise. There'll be some other guest speakers and stuff, but it'll be just sort of a you know we we don't focus enough on celebrating the wins that we are like in, it's going to be at CBU and that's the most environmentally friendly uh, campus in North America and we don't celebrate that win like that's Whoa. a win so Cape Breton is doing a lot of great things when it comes to the environment and we need to instill in the, in the kids all of these things that are you know be proud about these things mm. and and you know at the end of the event i want them to leave and, and and be an advocate of the environment but also know how to use that towards their employment too so give them a certificate that says you know i'm an advocate of the environment i i, I created these solutions that are going to impact environment and and now i can put this on my resume and teach them those skills these are the types of events that you go to and you, you know, I went to this event, and, and I've gained these skills as an individual. Your personal brand is important as well, so tie it back into uh, from a, from an employment perspective um, to to make sure that they they know how to use these things. Wow, man, I'm gonna end it with this one though. Uh, 
you've spoken about your grandfather a few times. Do you feel, do you ever feel there's this expectation because of your last name to always live up to something? Um, that That's an easy one. I don't think it's, a, it's an expectation. I, I know that I'm privileged. I know that I'm privileged for two reasons. One, uh, one, I'm half. I'm light-skinned. So I have that. It, it's almost like a fit-in everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I recognize that I have that privilege just walking through life as, as light-skinned. And everybody knows sort of this. Well, maybe they don't, but you should know the statistics around, you know, if, if you get hired or if you get you know, based on whether you're dark-skinned or light-skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that I've been privileged in having a last name day. So if if I'm around somewhere and there's something bad going on, somebody would be like, hey, you're a day. You you don't do that. And, you know, there's last names that maybe in certain communities that that aren't as fortunate. And just because you have a certain last name, you're expected to go down a certain road. Mm. Um, so for me, it's always been looked at as like this is a privilege to me. And I recognize that. And that's a big reason why I want to go into community and say, no, 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 it doesn't matter what your last name is. You can do anything. And and so that's why I go and coach uh, these kids like in the North End where it all started for me. Yeah. Uh, I coach football there for, for Bantam kids. And, and the really the, the part I enjoy most about is having those drives to and from games and to and from practice where we get to talk about some of the things that are going on in their life and and you know that's that's a and they get to see me in a positive light as a business owner as a person who's who's doing who's who who drives a relatively nice car without having to sell drugs to get it you know what mm. i mean so it's about putting those those being that role model and putting some visibility behind a positive image for kids that might not have a positive image because i always had that mm. so yeah, I don't see it as any sort of pressure or anything like that. I see it as a motivator to do more. Wow. Thanks, Bradley. That was, uh, yeah, that was a heavy one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in today. I'm very, very grateful you came to my podcast. I'm super awesome. And I'm definitely going to have you back because I want to talk about your fiance and you guys looking like siblings. But <laughs> I didn't even get into that. But um, I'm very grateful for coming in today. Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate being here. It's been it's been nice chatting and getting getting to know you a little bit more. We'll we'll have to have to do this more and and and, and really get to know each other because it's been it's been a great experience. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate Thanks. you. This is the Blackout Podcast. listening.